Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. And welcome to our Texans Chiefs postgame show, Robert Land, along with my co-host, Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. And if you're new to the party, 45 years in journalism between Sean and I and over 35 years covering Houston sports. So you're in good hands. And Sean, I know we got to talk about another Texans loss, but before we get to it, give me about 60 seconds off the top to talk about the best game of the day. One of the greatest games I've seen in any sport. The World Cup final was incredible, amazing, fun. The game of the 21st century. I'm not even kidding about it. I literally got chills at time watching it just as a sports fan, as somebody that loves all of this. Messi versus Mbappe was what like watching Jordan versus Kobe. Even a dumb soccer fan like me, just blown away, Sean. Blown away. What a game. A lot of people actually won't even get that comparison uh, because, you know, soccer still is soccer in the U.S., um, but it's World Cup. I mean, people get into the World Cup just like you do the Olympics every four years or uh, any major golf tournament, you know. Um, I actually got to the stadium about uh, 45 minutes early uh, today so I could sit down, chill, eat breakfast, and take that game in, and it was absolutely fantastic. You hit the nail on the head. Um, that was incredible drama. Um, you couldn't have asked for really anything better. I, maybe, maybe if you went like full penalty kicks, you know, if you really needed to see all five of them, you know, where it comes down to the last one, that's the only way you could have topped it. I mean, it was, it was absolutely phenomenal. Nobody should have wanted that game to end. They should have wanted the penalty kicks to be thrown out so we could just go and go and go Yeah. because I mean, just the last 20 or 30 minutes of regulation and overtime it was just back and forth nuts. I mean, you talk about a pre-game celebration of all celebrations before the Texans. I'm like, hey, the Texans, you can't top it. But wait a second, Sean. They did top it. Overtime. Like, it was it was one of the David Goliath stories of all time in, in the NFL. Great stat coming into this one. Only three times in history has a team with less than two wins beaten a team with 10 or more wins. The Texans were without their two top receivers. One of the best running backs in the NFL, Damian Pierce, of course, officially out for the year. If anybody hasn't heard by now, this looked like an impossible task, Sean. Yeah. um, I've been thinking this honestly for the last couple of three weeks since the injury bug has really started to bite and affect the Texans. And and by effect, I don't mean like, okay, well, they're playing worse than they typically would. No, they're playing better than they typically have. And they've been forced to really get creative. And as creative as we, you know, were led to believe that this offense could be uh, coming into this season, we've really seen Pep Hamilton, I think, here in recent weeks, um, maybe be forced into um, – being just that, actually creative, and sometimes, you know, to his detriment, too creative. But I have a legitimate question. Like, I've been wanting to talk about this. I've been wanting to write about this. I just don't know particularly how yet or if it's something where I need to see a little bit more evidence. But are these guys, and I'm speaking in general, and we could certainly get into some specifics, but are these guys or is this team better than we give them credit for, really? Um, that, that I think I would like to talk a little bit more about. And then, because we do discuss tanking, we do understand that 
organizationally, and I will die on this hill, they are systematically tanking. And I thought, you know, you could point to some really strong evidence in the just within the first month of the season in terms of the personnel that they used and really didn't use and the opportunities that they did not give their best players, particularly Damian Pierce um, on high leverage downs, refused to use him late in games at all through the first month of the season. And, and d- didn't they have five active tight ends today? Like it, the roster was yeah, nice, act- right? They activated Mason Shrek uh, today. And so you had Shrek, you had Akins, you had Tegan Quatoriano, you had Brevin Jordan. Um, O.J. Howard, I guess, was active, but you wouldn't know it because um, where was that guy? But also, you know, where was Tegan Quatoriano after his touchdown catch? Uh, where was Brevin Jordan, you know, all day aside from the really fantastic grab on, you know, maybe a top 10 throw that Davis Mills made this season uh, to him in a big situation? later in this game um it's the inconsistencies when you're able to finally find guys hell for that matter chris moore still some way somehow led this team in receptions today and i'm not exactly sure how the hell he did it um because i just remember like one catch and he had like four catches it's like where is this guy i mean he's he's being asked to run these ridiculous routes for a guy who can clearly go down the field and make great catches we've seen it now for a couple of weeks in a row and he had an opportunity today to do it and really expose the Kansas city chiefs and their coverage get manned up quite a bit. And they don't take advantage of it outside of the first couple of series that they were able to get things going. So I I don't know, like I really do believe that there are individuals on this team that are better than we give them credit for. And I think as, as a group, as a roster, they are actually better than we give them credit for. They've just been used and this roster has been manipulated in a way to actually be worse than what their real capabilities are. And I get why. It's just frustrating and disappointing to see at the time when you are facing two of the best opponents in the league, two of the better ones. I mean, these are two teams that are going to go to the playoffs and have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. It's just that simple. And when you have your opportunities against these teams in the regular season, regardless of how bad you are record-wise and how bad you've been playing in an anemic offense, to see the promise at times it is frustrating in that sense and it's just another testament to like okay you do see the light at the end of the tunnel here you do see a little bit of the promise and the progress that individuals are making and that this organization could make come april 27th yeah and i I, by the way i need people to subscribe uh, on youtube as well as comment we want to hear from you uh we see that todd wants to fire everyone yeah we know the texans fans are not happy with what's going on but that's the way you can support the show and and, and sean let me just say i I gotta give the texans credit for one thing (laughs) the last two weeks they have played with an urgency and a physicality that has been missing all season this Again, for the second straight week, they look like a real football team and they look like they're actually trying. And, and you know, I give Lovey credit at least for that, because you would think at this point in the season, guys would start letting go on the rope a little bit. But you, you don't see it on the field. Yeah. Sorry. I just we had a commenter say, was Andy Reid trying to save Lovey's job during his press conference? We could get to that a little bit later on because it did seem that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, look. That's a question that I had, you know, and a lot of people were asking, and we got some good feedback today from the players in the locker room. And I even asked a number of guys this week after that Cowboys game um, a week ago. There had to be some kind of juice, some kind of carryover 
Um, and Lovey Smith kind of admitted to it this week that, yeah, he has noticed a little bit different of a pep in their step and um, a little bit more juice, as he put it, too, um, in the locker room. And you have to. I mean, when you've gone through a season the way that the Texans have and lost games in which they did, I mean, they found every way possible to lose a game almost. I mean, they blow leads, they've been in it late, and they've had turnovers, it's penalties, big chunk plays, which has, you know, routinely been an issue. And I'm surprised, really, it wasn't more of one today. I think the the Texans secondary really deserves a lot of credit, you know, for being well. Without- before you say that, we have Adam, your friend Adam says, where was the secondary in the second half? Mahomes threw like 22 straight completions. Yeah, and and that's absolutely fair. But, you know, where were those completions coming? I mean, they were picking on the Texans where you can't with the soft coverage in the intermediary in the middle of the field. And look, the completions, here's what the Texans have a massive problem. And I made a number of notes today just in regards to this one glaring hole defensively for the Texans. Look at a lot of those completions that Patrick Mahomes made. They were to the back out of a backfield. Okay. And what the Texans have typically gotten caught up in, and they did a number of times today, is playing that too high safety look. And you're leaving an interior linebacker responsible for the back out of the backfield. Well, so many times they get sucked in right away because that Kansas City offensive line was either, one, so darn good at getting to the second level, or Christian Harris and Jake Hansen were playing so close to the line showing blitz and didn't that they couldn't get out to their responsibility of um, uh, the back in the backfield. You saw a lot of those completions today, a lot of end arounds and, you know, throws in the flats where you just can't, you can't cover that. And it is the soft coverage too. But in terms of being in the right spot, right place, you have to be impressed with Tremont Smith. I know he gave up a touchdown to Scantling earlier, and that's an excellent time in which size absolutely does matter. He's a smaller guy. You have to expect that. And that's a failure on the Texans in using their personnel. Two plays earlier than that, they had a fortress on Smith, and he defended a great pass attempt. Okay, so when they make the adjustment and put Scantling on Smith, the Texans have to be able to make that adjustment like that, and they did not. You have to go matchup by matchup, and they unfortunately were playing with three corners today. There's not much they could have done, so maybe they threw their hands up in the air and just said, hey, go make a play, Big Cat, and he got out physical. But I think you have to give him credit. I mean, they were physical and tackling. They made some great pass deflections today, and I thought overall they were in the right place to make plays. It's just Again, you are out-athleted, you are overpowered, and it's this defense, they're going to succumb to some of its holes today, like I think um, you know, they really did on a number of times, and unfortunately, a couple of crucial times. For the first time, maybe this year, on a consistent basis, I felt like the Texans were making the quarterback move and have to do things. Unfortunately, the quarterback, Sean, is Patrick Mahomes, and that's why he can also get 22 straight completions because he's going to extend plays, and you can't cover guys forever. No, and it's it's an incredibly difficult task against Mahomes. And look, the Denver Broncos did an excellent job last week against Mahomes. He had one of his worst games outside of the pocket, particularly using his legs. Um, It might have been actually one of the worst games outside of the pocket for Mahomes within the last couple of three seasons. Uh, that's how good the Broncos were in defending him um, in, in pressures and limiting him 
um, for big chunk plays there. The Texans, I, I thought, you know, at times they were doing a really good job, but, you know, Jerry Hughes, Jonathan Grenard, um, they were shooting gaps really well today, hitting the edge at times fantastically. But what happens is when you beat that guy off the edge, that left tackle or that right tackle, their job is to push you out. And they got pushed so far out with their momentum going towards the backfield. Mahomes is able to easily find that gap, that hole, and extend a play and make plays. He got loose on a couple of big, chunky runs uh, later in this game that really hurt the Texans on some second and long and third manageable opportunities in which – you know, look, if you kind of slow play this a little bit and you squeeze a little bit more, if you're Grenard or Hughes, you're able to contain Mahomes and really force the ball out of his hands that way. Or maybe you just make him hold for a second longer and the Texans get a pressure on him. Because I, I thought they did a pretty good job today in getting pressure on Mahomes. They got to him a number of times um, and forced some poor throws. There wasn't many. He only had five uh, 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 incompletions today, and most of them came early, but they sacked him. And I, I thought they made him do things that he didn't want to do, pull the ball down and run. And unfortunately, it was the over-pursuing of him that really kind of cost him. And that, that's that's kind of what Lovey had been talking about all season long in terms of angles and just decisions and being at the right time, right place um, within the defense. And for whatever reason, a very simplistic defense, and they don't ask him to do a whole lot. They don't do a whole bunch of movement or stunts or anything like that. That's what kind of makes it more disappointing when – even against a guy like Patrick Mahomes, you're giving up such chunky plays. Should I be wearing a, a Chiefs hat? Because, you know, even though it's a Texans postgame show. You're already wearing a hat. Give it to me. Everybody else was wearing Chiefs gear here today. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, even though I'm, I'm wearing my Texans hat, maybe I should just be wearing Chiefs to fit, ever, fit in with everybody over at NRG Stadium. I'll, I'll go through some of the possessions uh, real quickly. Neither team gets far on the first drive. Texans with a three and out. On their second drive, on the Chiefs' second drive, Christian Kirksey sacks Mahomes. The Texans' D with a three and out. But then the Chiefs throw the ball nine out of their first ten plays in the first two drives. More idiocy from Texans' opponents because we know you got to run the ball against the Texans. So anyway, the Texans take advantage, go back and forth between Driscoll and Mills, drive down the field, get a huge pass interference call inside the five on a pass to Jordan Akins. And Sean, it sets up Mills to Quitteriano, eight-yard touchdown pass, and that's all he does is catch touchdown pass, Quitteriano. Yeah, I, I've told you before, I, I think he's a player, man. Uh, he is literally the most uh, forgotten uh, young player, I think, on this roster right now, the least talked about. And he's probably, maybe he gets lost in such a, a deep, tight end room, and by deep, I just mean there's so many damn guys, but nobody's really standing out because of the poor quarterback play. Um, and, uh, except know, Jordan Akins. Give that guy credit. You got to give Jordan Akins credit. There's no doubt, but he's asked to do some things, run some routes that quarterbacks just simply aren't. These quarterbacks on this roster, I'll say this, and Mills and Driscoll have no business making throws in those lousy route concepts that Pep Hamilton has Akins running. He's, they're asked to make some very um, challenging throws in the flats on some of those speed uh, pre-snap motions that we've seen from Aikens. And look, it's kind of a blessing in disguise that they were uncatchable balls thrown by both Mills and Driscoll at point in times today because they would have gone for two-yard gain short of the chains. I mean, I just think they're ridiculous routes. And, you know, I'd like to see a little bit of a choice route or something like there in those situations where you get – you know, the defensive shifting one way and you get the speed route going the other way, kind of a pivot and attack the middle because 
Texan quarterbacks actually today did have a little bit of time to throw and go through their progressions. And I think, you know, if you needed more confirmation in, in that sort of thing, it's that a lot of these throws that Mills and Driscoll really are asked, being asked to make, they're predetermined. And that's frustrating unto itself. But Quatorian, I'm telling you right now, the guy's a player. If he can stay healthy, he's going to be a dude. He's the total package. He can block. Um, he can catch through contact. He can get you some yak. Um, he's got sure hands. And I think these are all things, really, he's shown since training camp. He battled a knee injury. He battled a quad injury earlier this season, came off, and got an opportunity um, later this season. And he's really making the best of it um, with all things considered. And I'm hoping that, you know, guys like Utoriano, guys like Royce Freeman, um, even Jake Hansen defensively, um, along with Tremont Smith, they're able to really get, you know, continued good looks the last three games of this season, um, because I think those are guys worth hanging on to and keeping around because they played with the juice and it's hard to get guys that are lost in the season like this to play all out. And that's what you're seeing from a number of these players. The Chiefs uh, finally get the memo after that touchdown drive by the Texans that they can run the ball. Hey, you could do that against the Texans. Easy seven play, 75 yard drive ends up with Mahomes to McKinnon touchdown pass. The Texans, not much progress on their next drive, but Mario Addison forces a Pacheco fumble. Desmond King recovers at the Chiefs' 17. The Texans do what they haven't done much this season. They take advantage of a turnover. Mills can't find a receiver, but Sean, it was a beautiful scramble for a touchdown. That's very nice. Yeah. Um, you know, Mills is not going to wow anybody with, uh, you know, his wheels or anything, but that play particularly kind of shot me back into the Schaub era where, you know, they ran a ton of bootleg with him. And so many times you just kind of wanted Schaub to pull that thing down and run and go get the first down or go try to score on a play like that with so much open field in front of him. And I got to credit Mills, you know, I mean, he wasn't afraid to do it. I mean, it was a broken play. He pulled it down and ran, took his chances, but he tried to get a little bit too cute late and kind of slow down and, uh, hesitate, you know, the defender a little bit, and he had enough room just to get in over the left pylon. But, I mean, I thought that was a good little play. And, um, you know, something that I think, you know, when you're able to put that on film, look, this season's lost, it doesn't matter. But, you know, you get three games left. You're still trying to do the very best you possibly can. I mean, that makes defenses have to respect, you know, at least that element of it. You have to, you know, guard against that because, you know, when a guy's able to pull off a near 20-yard run in a situation like that, you're going to respect that a little bit more if you're an opposing defense in the coming weeks. Yeah, that scrambled worked, but there was a scramble at the end that didn't work, and we're going to get to it. But the next couple of drives go nowhere for each team. The Chiefs are backed up to their own three, but drive 97 yards for a touchdown. But they missed the extra point, which turned out to be a big deal later in the game. And magically, the Texans are winning at the half, Sean. And I, I, I can't remember how many games that they've been winning at the half, but you look up and you're like, are, can they actually win this game? The way they're playing and the breaks that they were getting, you just kind of felt like, okay, maybe maybe they cannot screw it up for one time in the fourth quarter. And and that's where usually where it falls apart. If they can do that, they got a shot in this game. Well, I mean, you know, good teams are going to make good plays at the end of games. Um, and I know we'll get to that. But, you know, the Chiefs really throughout this ball game, even in the first half with their play calling, their play design, I, I was just kind of, I was I was shocked, really. I mean, you know, the Texans come out and they get cute 
you know, putting Mills out wide a couple of times. They put Driscoll out wide and, you know, doing all these little funky offensive formations. I mean, I guess there was a benefit to it if you really think about it. And a positive, two real, two real positives. I'll put it this way. There's two real positives to come from that. Is that one, you're kind of able to identify the coverage that the Chiefs are in. I mean, you know you're getting man coverage on whatever quarterback is split out wide. So that's going to kind of help you on your other reads, which they didn't do a good job of taking advantage of because they were looking for little you know, dump-offs and they ran the ball 90% of the time out of those looks. Um, but the other thing was is, um, you know, that – you're you're able to kind of set that up and you're you're able to see what the Chiefs are doing defensively, what their tendencies are. Um so I I mean I liked it in that regard. But the Chiefs were giving this thing to you again. And you know, so many times that we've talked about this season where the Texans are in these ball games is particularly late, it's the penalties. You know, the Chiefs were just playing ill disciplined, soft football, particularly defensively. And I just thought the Texans did an excellent job of taking advantage of that, you know, staying focused. Yeah, big, big penalties by the Chiefs. It wasn't just that they were committing penalties, but it seemed like every penalty that they committed mattered. So the Chiefs, they start the second half with a long drive, but Malik Collins comes up with a big stop on third down at the 10-yard line. The Chiefs have to kick a field goal. And Sean, question for you, is Malik Collins... The one Texan who can be a defensive lineman on a good defense? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I thought I, I thought he's been pretty solid all season long. I and, mean, you know, look, we haven't been saying his name a lot, but it's easy to get lost when you're the lone guy on a, you know, a front four um, that really isn't getting uh, that much push. When you're getting gashed as much as you are, you know, up the middle, um, and your run defense is as poor as it is, I mean, you don't get a chance to really see the opportunities that he can give you as a pass rush, uh, it really does become about stuff in the run. And, you know, one of the more surprising things today was the Chiefs, you know, come out passing a lot more early than they did um, running. I just thought that was kind of crazy. It had to be, um, you know, just an opportunistic, you know, thought, philosophy, theory by Andy Reid and this offense, Eric Bieniemy of, hey, let's try to take advantage of an inexperienced and, you know, second-rate Texans secondary. Well, you should have respected it. I mean, the game against the Cowboys last week showed you as much. But then, two, you know, I think schematically, you know, Lovey Smith, you know, for the most part has put these guys in position to make plays and switching Petrie back to the middle of the field at free safety um, I think has made a, a big-time difference with the look that this team can give you um, in the secondary. Um, they're going to get out physical like they did today uh, a couple of times in regards to Traymond Smith. You know, he gave him a touchdown, as I mentioned before. Petrie's not that great of a tackler still yet. I think he needs to put on a few pounds, get some muscle, and use uh, his arms better. Um, but, look, Desmond King, you know, I think the type of physicality, toughness that he plays with is contagious to this to this secondary. He's not afraid to stick a hat in there. And I think that's kind of what's been most remarkable over the course of the last, uh, really, I'll say three, four weeks that we've seen this team become a little bit more physical. And it's really, you know, been magnified against, you know, the Cowboys and the Chiefs today, two better opponents and, um, you know, two Super, Super Bowl contending teams this year. But, I mean, I'm pleased with, you know, some of these younger players and, and really even some of the veteran players, and particularly Jerry Hughes, and Mario Addison, Malik Collins. Um, for the mentality that they've been able to kind of uh, pass on to these other players, both offensively and defensively, for that matter. 
Well, you mentioned Petrie, and I spent yet another Sunday yelling at my TV at Petrie to try to learn how to make tackles. And by the way, Sean, be careful. I think you're you're banging the table a lot. It's it's like Levy Smith is banging the table, oh, getting getting questions from Brooks. I got a microphone, I guess. My bad. Yeah, it's uh Brooks Brooks Cabino uh, would be upsetting Levy, and he'd be banging the table okay. in the post game. So that we're getting a lot of that um, after the Texans three and out. The Texans force a fumble. Jermon Smith, a huge hit. Jake Hansen recovers. Great challenge there by Levy, I thought, because that was one that I, I didn't even notice that with the penalty going on and everything else that that the ball was fumbled and that the Texans did recover that one. And, and I just thought that was a, a good challenge on a, on a play that could have gone maybe not the Texans' way, and then all of a sudden they got the ball back. Yeah, to be quite honest with you, I mean, I, I saw that initially, you know, and I was really shocked that it took as long as it did to figure that one out. I just... But it was obvious, um, you know, they said forward progress. Well, the ball was loose upon forward progress. Initially, you know, that first hit, the ball was dislodged. And I, I, I thought if it didn't work out the Texans way, that that was going to be the, one of the more egregiously blown calls in the league this season. So it worked out as it should have. So the ensuing drive, the Texans get a couple of breaks, big third down penalties. I mentioned that they were getting them all day. The Chiefs were. And for once, it was the other team shooting themselves in the foot, not the Texans. And after a tonsil false start, makes a third and goal from the 13. Mills hits Aikens for the touchdown. And Sean, that was the first time this season the Texans had converted a third and 11 or longer. They were 0 for 28 before that. Great stat there by CBS. That is a great stat. Was that our friend Adam Pena on that stat? I wouldn't put it past him. Uh, <laughs> Could have been. That's a really good job. Um, shocking. Um, you know, there was a flag on that play, and it, w- it went against the Chiefs, I think, for a holding call or a push-off or a defensive pass, whatever it was. I thought initially that flag was on Jordan Akins because it wasn't a great route. Um, he pushed upfield about six, seven yards on the goal line and hadn't separated at all from his defender until he pushed off and got inside leverage. And I thought for sure that's an offensive PI on the Texans, and that thing's coming back. Um, all in all, look, it worked out. Um, you know, the Texans maybe benefited from a, a, a no call there by the referees, obviously looking at something else, which was uh, the right call, but it certainly could have gone the other way. Um, you know, and to that point, I'm – as good as the Texans were today, you know, give them credit for hanging in this game. They did some good things in all three phases of this one. I am, I just continue to not be impressed, you know, for the most part with this offensive scheme by Pep Hamilton. I just, I'm not a fan of the route concepts. Um, I think it's much more to do with the concept itself than the personnel that you have uh, to execute the concept. I'm just not a fan. And I think further, more of an indictment on why Pep Hamilton cannot continue as an offensive coordinator, not just here, um, but at the NFL level until he's able to kind of, you know, figure some things out. Might be a damn good quarterback coach, and that's fine. I just don't think in any one of those facets it's going to work here in the future. Looks like Andy reads in the comments because the it's a, a G, G. Peterson said the Chiefs burned by refs big time this game. A bunch of really bad calls. I didn't think the calls were all that bad, and I didn't think the broadcasters thought they were all that bad. But uh, let's go to the next deal. The Chiefs respond after that with a nine-play, 84-yard drive and a two-point conversion to go up three. But Mills drives the Texans down the field for a field goal to tie the game. You talked about Pep just now, Sean. 
Lots of Texans fans weren't happy. Jeff Driscoll came in for Mills on first and goal for a play after Davis Mills was rolling right there. Uh, lost a couple of yards on that one on what looked like a read option. What'd you think of that? I just, Mills was doing a fine job, you know, leading the team down the field. And I thought you just completely screwed the momentum up in the flow of the offense that Mills had going by bringing Driscoll in. You know, you have to have a pulse on these things. And again, this is where I think Pep can try to, you know, gets too cute, you know, thinks like, man, this is really going to throw a wrench into things. And it did. Throw a wrench in your offense, which had an opportunity, was rolling. Mills was doing a fine job. And this was literally one of the times where if Mills and the Texans were able to punch that thing through and get a touchdown where you wouldn't, um, you know, uh, uh, punch back at Lovey in a post-game press conference for saying, well, Davis let us down the field, gave us a chance, he would have been right. I mean, I just thought, again, Pep Hamilton single-handedly stifled another opportunity for the Texans in the red zone. He's done so a number of times this season just by the ridiculous personnel calls, the ridiculous play calls that he's made. I just think you have to be better in those situations. This is not a big stage. It's a big opponent. But at the end of the day, like you have to be able to sit back during the course of a week and you know, re-inject yourself in that moment and see like, hey, you know, I, I shouldn't have done this or, you know, I, I don't need a medal so much here. You know, I, if you if it's really about growth with Davis Mills, which I really do believe they're giving the opportunity for him to kind of grow and learn from mistakes, you're starting to see that with the opportunities they've given him to throw the ball down the field. Um, and he's taken advantage of it, too. He's done a better job of stepping up in the pocket and utilizing what he's been talking about all season long before his benching and using his legs to extend plays. You've started to see that a little bit here in recent weeks since he's come back. And I, I just think Pep has, has really hampered um, this offense with, with some of those types of decisions, and particularly today with Driscoll coming in in that moment. If it was a read option and Driscoll just hands the ball off, it's not as big a deal. He lost the yardage. He made the wrong read if that was the case. It just didn't work out real well. I wasn't seriously upset about it because it's one play, and I feel like them going back and forth between Mills and Driscoll has been the shot of adrenaline that this offense needs. At least it's diversity, diversity at least it's being aggressive, all of that sort of stuff. I've got a lot of issues with Pep. I wasn't like sweating too much over that one but I can see where people were pissed off. Now, the Chiefs go back. They get uh, down the field. Harrison Butker, boy, he was helpful for the Texans. Again, missing a field goal. Uh, that, that one would have won the game. Sean, this is what drives me crazy. And this is why I just like, I, I don't want to see Lovey anymore. It's, it's why I hate NFL coaching, period, because just the lack of courage and bravery and just common sense sometimes Lovey's got eight seconds left. They're on the 41-yard line. They need 19 yards to get in field goal range for a 57-yard field goal. What, what could go wrong other than, you know, yeah, Davis could screw something up right there, but he could, he could screw it up in overtime. Like, what's the difference? Take the shot. I, I'm trying to compose myself. I'm trying to figure out the best way to put this thing. It's not the first time this season where they've had an opportunity to do that and play with house money, you know, if you will, like 
We saw it week one, and maybe that is something we keep going back to that. Maybe we should and rightfully do keep going back to that mentality that Lovey Smith has for this team. A tie was good enough week one. You know, punting for a tie was good enough in week one. Um, he's doing things that you're not good enough to get away with. I'll put, I'll put, you know, one way, like he operates this team, you know, with kid gloves sometimes. And then other times he treats these players like they're better than what they actually are. Other times like today, it's you play scared. And in that particular, you know, moment of the game, it's like, you're right. There is eight seconds left. You have excellent field position that you just took over on a missed field goal. Take a shot down the field. It's also about, Sean, it's also about not just the team or whatever. You suck. You are the worst team in the NFL. You're not going anywhere this year. This is a crummy team. It's You've got a home field advantage with crowd in the stands, and they just want to see you be aggressive, act like you care about winning the game, and act like you think you can win the game, not that you're playing on your heels to lose. And it's way more exciting than sticking a knee into the ground with eight seconds to actually throw the ball and say, Hey, let's try it. Let's go for it. We, we stopped them. Look at this. Sure. But you know, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot, not once, but twice, you know, by taking the knee with eight seconds left and not giving yourself an opportunity to do something special late, you're leaving up to a coin toss. The chiefs very well could have gone down the field on you and scored a touchdown. I mean, Patrick Mahomes and that chiefs offense showed every, uh, you know, they, they, they were doing it to you already. You know, now the Texans were good enough at times where they'd stifled some drives and made the chiefs settle or backed them up because the chiefs, you know, continued to hand the Texans possessions with stupid penalties. Um, but you're leaving it up to a coin flip. Everybody knows like, no, Patrick Mahomes has more game-winning touchdown drives in the fourth quarter and overtime the last three, four years than any team in the NFL. And nothing was stopping him from doing it, particularly against the defense that just come off the field to start overtime. I just thought that was a bad move for that regard because you busted your butt so hard to just limit the Chiefs to a 50-yard field goal attempt that now you're Five minutes later, you're going to give the Chiefs the ball right back, potentially on losing the coin flip, which exactly is what happened. And I just thought, like, it's eight seconds, man. Like, trust your guys just enough to go down and make a play. Like, throw it to Chris Moore. See if you can get a one-on-one on Chris Moore. Or if the Chiefs go, you know, uh, coverage, if they play a pre-event, then, hey, fine. You know, see if you can get something up the uh, up the left sideline or the right sideline, get out of bounds, and give yourself an opportunity to kick a 55-yarder or something. Uh, I just don't get in a league that's about aggression and quote unquote courage. And it's not just, I, I'm saying this because it's not just lovey. And I realize it's not just lovey. These a lot of NFL people. coaches have no courage <clears throat> whatsoever. They are the most scaredy cat of scaredy. I could use other words that are no longer politically correct, but they're scaredy cats is basically what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. But again, look, other coaches, other teams that would that, that do this, you know, sometimes you can – it depends. you got to put yourself in the mud. You can excuse certain things away. You know, again, like with a team that is, in, is mired in the season like the Texans are this year, it's, 
It's like house money. I mean, they're like, are you kidding me? Like, you just went toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in the entire league and another Super Bowl favorite, the Chiefs. And look, the Chiefs have their own problems. I mean, they blew a 27-point lead last week. You know, they went toe-to-toe with the worst team in the league this week. They've got some issues to try and figure out over the course of the next three weeks. Um, and so let, let's not pretend for once that they're not vulnerable because they certainly are. Patrick Mahomes can only do so much, but this defense by the Chiefs has got to play with some bigger balls, you know, because right now they look pretty dang soft to me. Um, but again, house money, man. And I, I just think that Lovey Smith and these coaches, they don't. They they almost they treat game situations like they do with us, the media, throughout the week. Like, hey, we expect to go out there and win. That was the message today. We, you know, look, this, there's no moral victories. We expected to go out here today and win. Come on, stop. Really? I mean, I get you know you're a little more confident, you know, with the way that you played the Cowboys last week. I mean, you're 17 point dogs, 16, whatever it was, 15 point dogs coming into this game. And you went to overtime against the Chiefs. Like, you shouldn't have uh, maybe not even gone to overtime. Give give Mills, give Driscoll, give somebody more. Give Akins an opportunity to go make a play. Be special. One time. One time. And they didn't do it. And it cost them. This game ended in the way that it just – what other ending could you possibly have forecasted, you know, for the Texans to lose this one in that fashion? Of course, the ball was going to bounce off of Davis Mills' right knee 10 yards. Hey, before we get to Davis Mills uh, and that play, we got to talk about it because the Texans in overtime, defense, you know, there were some drives by the Chiefs, but the defense made some big plays in this game. And future, I have to mention this before Davis Mills, Sean, because it's future Houston Sports Talk guest, Blake Cashman. Teaser alert, teaser alert. Uh, We're going to have him this week. He gets the big sack on Mahomes in the first overtime drive. But like you said, Davis Mills fumbles on a scramble. And as beast mode loading says in our comments, uh, great uh, nickname there. Mills looked really good. But when the game is on the line, old Mills showed up. Bryce Young, here we come. Yeah. You know, it goes back to what I just said. Um you know, good teams make key plays late in games, and this is not a good team. Davis Mills um, has had opportunities multiple times this season. Most of them came fairly early in the year um, to go down, uh, lead his team to try and tie and win a game late or, uh, you know, score a go-ahead touchdown. Um, and he just hadn't done it. And I'm he is obviously still a young player, but in the NFL – when you're a young quarterback and you're in a situation like this, sometimes you don't get another one for a few years, if at all. Um, so you have to seize the moment. And I will say this, like this is not to, you know, make excuses for Davis Mills. I'm not trying to do that by by any stretch. I'm just kind of telling you just how the NFL is and the way that it's become with grading quarterbacks and the expectations put on individuals you know that are in a first year or second year it's like you forget that you are asking a guy to come in in various different situations whether they're a senior or a junior coming from a big school that's had success or middling program that really hasn't played on a big stage whatever the case may be and you expect it right away this was a lose-lose situation for davis mills and if he'd looked you know 
um, at relatively just as good as he did the final five games of last season this year throughout for an extended period of time, that would have been an impressive accomplishment. And, and, and here's the key, Sean, and, and a difference, I think, between last year and this year. So you said Davis Mills, he might not get another shot because sometimes you only get this one shot. And if you screw it up, it's gone. But the expectation, I think, by a lot of Texans fans, when you talk to them, you say, well, well, at least maybe they got a backup quarterback with the third round pick in Davis Mills and he could be the backup next year. He can be a career backup. But you know what you don't want from your career backup? You don't want the guy that's playing this year. You want the guy that was playing last year because the guy that's playing this year, the job of a career backup is you come in and you don't make the stupid mistake. You don't lose the game. You're in there to manage the game and try not to lose the game. The, the starter is in there to win the game, Sean. And that's the problem with what Davis Mills is doing is he, 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 he's losing you games because of the stuff he's doing. It's not just that he's not winning you games. Uh, you're 100% right. And, you know, look, I've heard this argument the last couple of weeks. Like, Davis Mills you know, is maybe looking a little bit better, playing a little bit better, you know, with this quarterback duo, fine, whatever, whatever. <clears throat> if you go out and get, get Bryce Young, fine, CJ Stroud, Will Levis, whoever the hell it's going to be, it's going to be one of those three, presumably, okay? Whatever pick, if it's one, if it ends up being nine or 10, whatever the Browns pick is, <clears throat> you know, who knows? Nine times out of ten, you want your backup quarterback to have a similar type of skill set and be able to do some similar things as your starter. Well, Davis Mills and Bryce Young comp doesn't exactly work. The Davis Mills and C.J. Stroud comp doesn't exactly work. You know, Davis Mills' future here right now is none as far as I'm concerned, um, just based on who I think the Texans will and should draft with their number one overall pick, i.e. Bryce Young. I think it's just going to happen. And, you know, unfortunately, we've got four months to try and be brainwashed by talking football people, you know, the talking heads, the experts, if you will, into some something else, whatever. Um, so Mills, you know, could could progress. He could get into a system with a, a better offensive coordinator, a better quarterback coach, and a better system and better time and a better place, and maybe things just click. And maybe it's two years away. Maybe it's next year. Maybe it's five years away. I don't know. That that was my point that I was trying to make earlier is that look, just because like he looks the way that he does now doesn't seal his fate as a professional football player. It just doesn't. You know, like you have to continue to bust your ass, be a good leader, be a good teacher, be great in the film room, and just await your opportunity because it is the NFL. Not all 32 quarterbacks start every single game. Weird, wacky things happen in the NFL. People get opportunities that maybe otherwise shouldn't. So do I think he'll get another opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, as a backup at some point? Absolutely. If he decides to stick with it, absolutely. It's almost guaranteed. What does he do with his opportunity then? Between now and that time, he's just got to put his head down and try to become better. I just don't think it's going to be here. I don't think it should be here. You know, uh, he, he was in almost, in a, like I said, a lose-lose situation, an impossible situation here with this franchise like so many other players, not just the quarterback, but, you know, coaches as well, being asked to do something or put on a face, window dressing to show one thing when the organization is clearly trying to do another. Last thing that I had for you, Sean, Titus Howard moved to guard. Charlie Hex started at right tackle. Hex's dad, great story, is the Chiefs O-line coach, Andy yeah. Hex. So they faced off this game. 
Nice moment before the game between those two guys. I'm sure they, they're going to talk a lot about that after this game. Did you pay much attention to Heck at right tackle and Howard at guard? And how did they, I was no, I've never been a fan of Howard at guard, but did you pay much attention to those two and how they looked in this game? I know Howard had one penalty that I, I, I remember watching the replay. I think it was a little weak, but you know, it, was, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, um, I tried to look at both. Uh, to be quite honest with you, I looked a lot more at Howard um, when Royce Freeman was on on the field because I, I thought, you know, they would tend to use him quite similarly to how they were using Damian Pierce and just try to use that green tunsil combo to run over the left side. And I think with I thought with Howard over there, that combo with Howard and Tunsil on the left side of that line, they really try to expose um, the Kansas City Chiefs defense and. Uh, Royce is a guy who's powerful downhill runner does have a little wiggle to him. And I thought you saw that a lot today um, from him. And I think we really should see a lot more of Royce Freeman um, in the future. I, I think he should be really proud of himself the way that he ran today. Um, the way that he looked out of the backfield as a pass catcher, I think is an, uh, a pretty solid option. Maybe needs to get a little bit more decisive in his runs. I thought he danced a little bit too much along with Dari, but um, I paid a lot more attention to Howard early on in heck. Um, I just didn't feel like Heck did a great job in reaching the outside shoulder of those ends. I thought he left much to be desired. Um, I, I felt like the Texans really missed some opportunities off the edge on some of the outside zone runs, uh, particularly when, uh, and I can't think of the backs now, but it had to be a comp- probably a combination of Rex and Royce uh, when they were splitting time. Just those little uh, little flat routes or bubble screens out there, when that edge is is super important to reach the outside shoulder and just give that back an opportunity to finish his route and the quarterback has that window to throw. I just didn't think Heck gave them much opportunity to make plays off of that. And, you know, that that's something to me that, that is pretty fundamental. You know, when you're going to run a lot of outside zone or you throw in the flats a lot like the Texans do, you got to be able to reach the edge on that. And um, for that, I just... I don't like it. Do I think Heck could be a player in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I like his versatility. I like his size. I just, I'd like to see a guy like that um, with his build move a lot better laterally. So I think he's got a lot of work to do. You mentioned Royce Freeman, 11 for 51, 4.6 yards per carry. So pretty good game for Royce. Dare had eight carries, 14 yards. Also, I didn't see as many holes for Dare, to be honest with you. I just thought, well, yeah, maybe a better back makes more out of it, but not much more. The, the holes just weren't there for Dari. Well, man, he you know, the Texans run game, you know, is not going to be as successful as it can be when they continually play these, you know, two and three tight end sets and they invite extra men into the box. You could do that, you know, initially, but there has to be some pre-snap motion to it. You've got to be able to move guys in and out of the box. And even when the Texans did do that and they would show some pre-snap motion, the Chiefs wouldn't budge a lot. You know, they would just kind of a bump responsibility and they would still have a three on two, no matter what side you motion to. You have to be able to spread things out. And until the Texans do that, they're not going to see market success, I don't think, with any back. What Damian Pierce did so well this year, (coughs) excuse me, is get yards after contact. Well, a lot of that yards after contact is because he's so damn powerful and continues to churn his legs. You know, when he gets through, when he's going through that first phase into the second level, 
that's where pay dirt is for him. I mean, that's where his his, uh, his his bread and butter is. Is he's so damn strong, has that low center of gravity, and runs mean. Um, and look, you know, Dari, I, I don't think has the similar characteristics to do those sort of things. Like I do, Royce. I think Royce is a better comp for Damian. That's just my opinion. Uh, it's what I noticed in the preseason. I think that's what we all saw today. But until the Texans start to get a little bit more, you know, fundamentally sound in spreading things out, if they really want to sh- try and run the football, you can do all the read option you want to. But in a stack set, like, you're still in a box. And when there's seven or eight defenders in that box with you, they don't have a lot of decisions to make. It's stay true and wait until somebody crosses your face. And if it's if you guess wrong, well, guess what? I still got a two-on-one or a three-on-two on the left side or the right side, whatever the opposite is. Yeah, you talk about Pep, and I think of the offense in these terms. <clears throat> it, it, it really drives me crazy that with a team that's not somebody that's going to go beat you in one-on-one battles, the talent is just not there. Laramie Tunsil, obviously a pro bowler, but we have a lot of guys that just aren't t- talented enough to go beat you one-on-one. It always looks like they play better when they're doing the zone scheme on the offensive line, when they do the pitch plays and you get the guy outside and move the offensive line. And that's a pep deal. Like, recognize who you are and play towards that. And I get the feeling that he either doesn't think that's who he is as an offensive coordinator, or he just doesn't know how to do it on a consistent basis. Because if he did, I think he would. Because, look, the the proof's in the pudding. It seems like it pretty much works when they do that. And when they're just trying to go mano a mano up the middle, like you're, you take out this guy, you take out this guy and, you know, go try to make something happen, Damian Pierce or whoever the running back is. It's a little bit less successful. As good as Damian's been, I think it's been less successful even for him. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you're not, you're not really asking the running backs to go, to go make something special happen. You're asking offensive linemen to go make something special happen because so many times, you know, you can draw a play up. And it looks fantastic on paper, but do you have the interior linemen to go up to the second level and get a safety or get a linebacker? I don't think the Texans have those dudes. Kenyon Green's not there yet. We saw how well he can move laterally on some pull plays and things like that to set up some combo blocks on the first level and create a good cutback lane for a guy like Damian Pierce, who does have a little wiggle and is powerful enough to get to the second level. But you know, when you're trying to run outside zone and you're asking guys to pull and make an incredibly difficult block where they've got to travel, you know, eight, nine, 10 yards for first contact, that's really difficult to do. You've got the running back to do it. Rex Burkhead could make a lot of these runs and cutbacks, but until you have the lineman that can go up and create those blocks, you know, at the, at the, at the second level, you're not going to be very successful. Outside zone is very simplistic and it is about creating, um, you know, a numbers game. Um, there's usually going to be one free hitter, but can you out leverage that free hitter? That's what I feel like the Texans, you know, really stink at is out leveraging that free hitter and making them make a decision. When you box everything up so much and you have seven or eight guys to worry about instead of six, that really makes your job that much more difficult. And it's just not going to happen with a Pep Hamilton coordinated offense. And quite frankly, it's not going to happen with this offensive line until they find themselves an everyday legitimate center and everyday legitimate right guard. I think then and only then can you really start to see real growth with this offense. Yeah, and I guess that's my point is like, at least if you're doing the outside zone, 
you got a chance at maybe making something happen with your center and right guard that aren't good enough to knock anybody out of the way one-on-one. And that, that's what I've seen way too many. But anyway, um, one good thing happened in the last 30 minutes of this Texans game that happened not really because of the Texans or what was going on in the game, but one good thing happened in Houston sports because we are Houston sports talk. And I know you're excited about this, Sean. Michael Brantley is back. One yeah. year, twelve million dollars. What do you think? Uh, I love it. Um, I haven't obviously. I heard heard the news going down to the locker room after the game was over. So one year, twelve million. I heard it was four million dollars in incentives. Um, I'm intrigued by by the move just in general because I thought Brantley was a guy that not just the Astros, but I thought all of baseball was going to kind of have to wait on the market was going to have to wait on him because of his shoulder. I wasn't anticipating that to be. Um, worthy of a decision for a guy like that until February, March, you know, going into spring training, you know, before the season even starts. It sounds like from more the reports that is they, they think his shoulder is fine now. Like it, it's going to be fine. Yeah, obviously. Otherwise, you don't do this deal. However, I am a little bit more intrigued by this that like one. Even if even if that was in question, you, you give him the deal and you make it largely incentive based. I'm just glad he's back. I thought he was that integral of a piece to this roster um, for his leadership, from his feedback, from the job that he was doing when he wasn't able to contribute on the field to uh, helping guys in the film room, just, you know, creating a message in, in, in the clubhouse and keeping these guys upbeat and going, even when they experienced, and there wasn't a lot of times this year. I don't think they suffered losing streaks longer than three, but maybe four times and maybe a losing streak longer than four, maybe once, if at all this regular season. Um, but it is long. It is monotonous. And you need a personality like that, uh, a worker bee, somebody that loves and enjoys the game and the process as much as he does. You need a guy like that in the clubhouse. I don't think they could have stood to lose him and Yuli and Verlander, um, you know, all in one offseason coming off of a World Series victory. I, I just didn't like that field. The interesting thing now is, is what are they going to do with Yuli and what capacity do they look at bringing him back? I think Yuli wants to be here. I think he loves Houston. So if they can bring him back and basically make him the replacement for an Aledmus Diaz as that utility role, I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and I, I guess the one concern that I have, and you and I have talked about this a little bit, but my one concern with Brantley is – He's great for the postseason. If he's healthy in the postseason, you're, it sets up great for you as a postseason roster and the lineup and all of that. I grant all of that. However, during the regular season, with Michael Brantley and Jordan Alvarez basically hogging all of your DH time, you you don't have the capability to DH an aging Altuve, an aging Abreu, a injury risk. Alex Bregman occasionally, and somebody that's been dealing with injuries over the last few years, you don't have a chance to rest those three guys and have them a little bit fresher for the postseason. When you rest them, now you pretty much take them out of the lineup, which, you know, it's fine, I guess, but it, it takes away that option anyway. Yeah, but I don't know if you need a DH, you know, Bregman or DH. I mean, how often does that happen, you know, to this point? And like aging, I mean, I, I can't argue. I mean, they're all aging. Um, but I mean, defensively, I mean, the plays that Altuve made in the field this postseason alone to show still his range. And you don't think of Altuve as having this cannon of an arm, but I mean, his range and ability to get to some balls a lot quicker than other guys would kind of negate 
the type of arm that it would typically take for a second baseman to make some of the plays that he did ranging to his right. Um, and look, Bregman had one of his healthiest campaigns, you know, as an Astro in a while, I think played the most games uh, out of any regular this season for them. Uh, but my point being is that Bregman has had a lot of issues right. over the last few years. My yeah. point being is that Jose Altuve is starting to get up there a little bit. And right. so is Jose Abreu. And this is not, I'm not saying that they're, they're going to be washed, but you never know when the tipping point is. And the thing with Jose Altuve is he might be in his early thirties, but man, he's played two more seasons of baseball in the postseason. Yeah. He's played a lot of baseball. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting, I think, to see how David Hensley factors in, you know, what role he plays, because you can play him, you know, um, in various positions. Like I said, I think Yuli or whoever's going to fill that void um, left by Alednis Diaz is going to be interesting, the versatile type of player they get there. Um, let me ask you a question. You know, Brantley and Jordan, platooning left field, what are the prospects that the Astros are even done? looking at a left field DH sort of player. And where does a guy like Yaner Diaz factor in from this point? Because um, I don't know what they want Yaner Diaz to do. Do they want him to catch? Do they want him to play the field? Um, we know he could DH a little bit. Is he going to be ready for a, a type of a role like that with this ball club next year? I still feel like there is a move, a middle tier move, that the Astros can make and probably will make. I just don't know in what capacity, but left field still feels like a possibility, um, even though they signed Brantley to this one-year deal. Unless they're moving, unless they're moving Kyle Tucker to center field, I would. I mean, I can't imagine them. They've got two guys that are that play left right now. How many guys do you need? And Chaz McCormick, that they think is his best position, is at left field. So do you have three guys that basically their primary position should be left field? The only thing that they should be looking for at this point is a center fielder. I don't think it's necessary. I am not the doomsayer that the Astros organization apparently is and the fan base is about Chas McCormick. You, you, as I've said before, you do not need an all-star at every single position. It's, there's a, it's not a good idea to dump in every single dollar that you have into the offseason because you never know when somebody's going to go down and in the middle of the season you need to make that trade, that deadline trade, and have the salary available to make that move, um, to, to put it in somewhere in your budget. And so my feeling is, like, don't worry about center field. But I know everybody's like, well, we're not done yet. We got to get Conforto. But these, these free agents are costing a ton and ton of money. We've already talked about that. We talked about that in the week. But, yeah, that's my feeling. It's just like, okay, yeah, we, we can go out there and get an all-star for every position. but like, is that, is that necessarily uh, needed? Is it, is it, do we, do we have to, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, if you can, you can, I guess, but like, there's some, there's a time where, you know, you're the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers and, and they do it and they spend stupid money and we don't, and we win a world series and, and won two world series in the last six years. And we go to a lot further than those teams have done most of the time. So I, I just don't see the necessity of like, okay, we got to go out and fix everything in the offseason. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the Yankees. They spent stupid money getting back to their old ways, but most of the money that they'd spent this offseason was just to keep a guy there in Aaron Judge. You know, they go out and they get Radon and they bring him as part of the rotation. But, 
you know, does that make the Astros shaking their boots a little bit that you go get a guy like Radon in that rotation? I mean, no, I don't think so. I think if you're the Astros and you're looking at that matchup particularly, you still feel feel pretty good about your chances if, in fact, you do meet them again in the ALCS or wherever in the postseason. But, hey, to me, don't bury the lead. The Astros are still doing all of this without a real general manager in-house. Jim Crane is going to have this roster completed before he even hires a GM by the new year, it feels like. Maybe there's another move or two left to be made for whoever fills that role, if they're already in-house or if there's a hire that's going to be made from the outside. I don't know. I just find this incredibly fascinating that Jim Crane is going forward with these moves under this power structure. Yeah, one of our listeners says, tune in for football and got baseball talk. Give us five minutes to talk about Michael Brantley, the best thing that happened in Houston. The name of the show is called Houston Sports Talk. We talked for 55 minutes about a 1-11 and team, a team that lost yet again. Okay, we've talked about them. What else do you want us to say? You know, I'm sorry. We're talking a little bit of Astros baseball. We want to be able to sleep at night and be able to, like, rest a little bit and not have to think about, the garbage Houston Texans. They lost again. It was close this time, but they lost. Sorry. They suck. <laughs> yeah. Other commenter says all the Texans really need is a quarterback, honestly. Man, bad teams like this always need much more than just one guy. And in this case, particularly a quarterback, they need a lot more than that. They need an entirely new offensive staff coaching wise, and they need some playmakers. Uh, because Brandon Cooks will not be a part of this Houston Texans team next year. Like, I could probably name you two receivers that have been active and one that has not been active all year that I think I would like to have back for next season. Chris Moore, Nico Collins, and obviously John Mechie, um, who hopefully is fully recovered and ready for training camp after battling cancer this year. Uh, Those are my three guys that I'd like to have back um, on this roster with in large part an entirely new offense yeah it's 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 not a lot to choose from and yeah it's not just a quarterback but it's amazing what a quarterback can do they 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 make a lot of things look better when you got a real quarterback like Patrick Mahomes oh no Tyree kill wide receiving cores whatever kind of you know but you know him and Travis Kelsey and you basically got a Super Bowl team that you know every single year so yeah uh, a quarterback kind of does that. It's 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 the it is basically the deodorant to a lot of problems. Yeah, but not just any quarterback. You got to have the guy. Sure. You got to have the guy. And sometimes that guy doesn't appear to be as such right away if you have the wrong staff or the wrong players. I mean, it's right time, right place, right situation, right system for whoever that's going to be. Congratulations to my Chiefs friends that are fans of the team over there. I know my friend Bianca is very excited because she was at the game today. She's from Kansas City. They got another victory for her, but uh, another sad one for the Texans faithful. Although, you know, it's always a win if you're the Texans when they lose because they're one step closer to hopefully the quarterback that we just talked about. Hopefully they're one step closer to that quarterback. Hopefully they find that guy in a few months, but uh, that's all we got for this one. Thanks for doing this, Sean, you and I, we're going to get together in just a couple of days. We've got Frank from HDX chop shop, by the way, looks like he's going to come on on Monday afternoon. Uh, I will post that sometime, probably either Monday night or, or Tuesday morning, but look for my show with him talking Houston Rockets and what's going on with them. 
Uh, me and Sean will have a guest that we mentioned a little bit earlier from the Texans later this week. And speaking of Bryce Young, I've got Mirren Fader from the Ringer Network. She is going to talk to me about a feature that she did on Bryce Young and what she thought of Bryce Young a few months ago, or I think it's about, been about a year ago now, she did a feature. So we're going to talk to her this week. That is the plan. She is on the schedule. She is booked, and I'm looking forward to it. So keep an eye out for that as well. But uh, thanks again, Sean. Let's do it again in a couple of days. Absolutely. Cool. We'll talk to everybody in just a couple of days. But until we, we talk again, until we meet again, have a, have a great one, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.